0: today to be here to worship Jesus. Thank you, Evan. Worship team, uh, what, a, what a great way uh, to usher us into time with the Lord today. Hey, if you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter number one. John chapter number one, we started last week a series in the Gospel of John, and we're just going to kind of take our time for the foreseeable future and walk through the Gospel that the Apostle John wrote and uh, certainly embrace on an invitation that Jesus will tell us shortly in John chapter 1, an invitation to come and see. Come and see. Um, Turn to John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19 here momentarily, but as you're finding it, I wanted you to think about um, a sermon that I read this past week. One of the ways that I like to prepare for my time on Sunday mornings, I read a lot of different commentary writers. Um, I, uh, I listen to different people you know, who preach, different podcasts, whatever that case may be. I also read oftentimes a lot of different sermons that are within the same context in which uh, I might be preaching in, just opportunities to hear from the Lord on, uh, on what he shared with other people and just how we can make our time together as meaningful as we can. So So I read a lot of different sermons at times. And just this past week, I was reading a particular sermon by a guy on uh, John chapter one, and he brought up a name that I thought was pretty interesting. He brought up the name Jules Fisher. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that name before. Anybody know who Jules Fisher is? Just curious, I didn't think anybody would, but uh, he's soon to be 86 years old, but he's still considered to be the best at what he does. During his 50-year career, he's won more awards and received more accolades than anyone else in his field. But I bet, just like you just showed me, uh, that most people have never heard of him. But let me throw out a couple of other names and see if you've heard of them. Has anybody in the room heard of the Rolling Stones? All right, maybe a couple. Uh, Whitney Houston. Yep, there's a few closet Whitney Houston fans in the room. I see you, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Kiss, Barbara Streisand. Any of you heard of any of these people? Certainly so, right? We've all heard of them. They're famous. They're what we would call stars. But what about Jules Fisher? Well, Jules Fisher, based uh, certainly on our discussion from last week, is what we would call the GOAT, or the greatest of all time, when it comes to lighting designs. Now, I know that's not what you were thinking about, right? Like, certainly, Fisher, yeah, he puts great lighting productions together. But he is. He's the best at lighting designs. He holds nine Tony Awards for his work on Broadway, as well as working on numerous movies and concerts by legendary artists such as some of the people that we've mentioned already this morning. Now, I know what you're thinking, Danny, why are you talking about an award-winning lighting designer? Well, the reason is mostly because of something that Fisher said about himself. This was in an interview. I want you to hear a statement that he made. He said, lighting is not about function. It's much more about the mood and the emotion that the playwright and director are trying to create. Our job, this is what he said, as lighting designers, our job is to support their poetic Direction. Now, that was a lot of words, and I'm not even fully sure what Fisher's talking about, but here's what did resonate in my own heart. Most people would never know who Jules Fisher is, but that's exactly his point. He's been successful when he's never been seen. His role was to support. His role wasn't to be seen, but to shine light on the star of the show. Now, I hope this is starting to connect a few dots in your mind this morning, doesn't this sound just like every follower of Jesus? In other words, think about this. I don't care who knows Danny Boudreaux. As a matter of fact, if you say the name Danny Boudreau anywhere in our country, I bet nobody has any idea who I am. Or maybe there are several other Danny Boudreaux out there, and they're thinking of someone that they might know. But here's the truth: I don't care if anybody knows who Danny Boudreau is, as long as they know the star of the show that is my life. As long as my life shines light on Jesus. that's all I care about. I don't want people to know me. I want people to know him. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded of something that we read recently in our Bible reading plan when the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here's some of the words he wrote. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Do you know what Paul was saying? He was saying, it's my story, but it's for his glory. Are you with me? It's my story, his glory glory. Paul was saying, my life exists so that Jesus's life can be made known. By the way, this is exactly the only reason why we know who John the Baptist is in the Bible. This is the only reason why he is significant or unique or important. It has nothing to do with John the Baptist. The reason he's in the Bible, the reason why we know him is not because of him being the star, not because of him being seen. The only reason why we know about John the Baptist is because of the one he supported, the one that he shined light on. The only reason we know John the Baptist is because he was constantly representing Jesus. You know what John the Baptist would tell us? He would tell us, it was my story, but it was for his glory. Can anybody else resonate with that? Anybody? I want you to look at the life of John the Baptist with me. We're going to go really fast. We're going to talk about a whole lot of content, but I really only want you to see a couple of things as it pertains to this idea, my story, his glory. Here's the first one. My story, his glory, means this. I point people to Jesus. That's what it means. You hear that phrase, my story, his glory. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who point to Jesus. Look at John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to walk our way through the testimony of John. Here's what the apostle John, don't get these confused. I'm going to say John multiple times this morning. Sometimes it will be John the apostle. Sometimes it will be John the Baptist. Good luck figuring that out. No, I'm just kidding. I'll try to reference them the best I can. John the Apostle, in the Gospel according to John, wrote this about John the Baptist. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Now I want to pause here as we think about my story, his glory, meaning I point people to Jesus. I want us to think about this same question that they were thinking about. Who is Jesus? John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist is extremely unique in Scripture. He was born to a priest and his wife long after anyone thought that they would ever be able to have children. If you read about the account of John the Baptist's birth, his early life, in Luke chapter 1, you discover some interesting things about him. Number one, he will be great before the Lord. That's what the angel told Zechariah. Your wife will become pregnant. She will give birth uh, to uh, a that you will call John, and he will be great before the Lord. He also told him this, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now listen, I'm not ready to have a theological discussion or debate about what that means, but I can tell you this, no one else in all of history is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb wound. We also know this about him. He will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Why? To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John the Baptist, very specific, very unique, very purposeful meaning to his life. As a matter of fact, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to see John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, when Elizabeth was pregnant with John, and Mary was going to tell Elizabeth about being pregnant with Jesus, here's what we learn about John before he was ever even born. This is also in Luke chapter 1. It says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist recognizing, even from the womb, the presence of of Jesus. John the Baptist, also unique in the sense that he spent most of his days in the wilderness. We also learn that from Luke chapter 1. It says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Also, Jesus praises John the Baptist higher than he does any other person. In Matthew chapter 11, we read this. These are the words of Jesus. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John The Baptist. This is the guy in which we are going to read about from the gospel according to the apostle John. Now, John uses a phrase here in chapter, uh, in verse 19 that I think is significant. He uses the phrase, the testimony of John. Now, what's he referring to? Well, really, you can look back in John chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, and you can get a small glimpse into that. We read these last week. I'm going to read them again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, not John the Apostle who's writing this letter, but John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The light is Jesus, the witness is John the Baptist. John the Baptist could care less if anyone ever knew his name. He only wanted people to know about Jesus. Why? Because my story, his glory, means I point people to Jesus. That is the testimony of John. Now what's interesting is we could dive a little bit deeper. The, uh, the, the ones who are asking the question, who is John, sent priests and Levites to question John the Baptist. Now this is significant because John is a priest and a Levite, and so that's why those are the people who are sent to ask him the question, who are you? Now at this point in time, John the Baptist had become well known. His testimony and impact could not go unnoticed. Now for reasons unknown, the apostle John does not give us the full history of John the Baptist, but we do have it from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now we could read all of these various accounts and there's a lot to read, but here's what I would sum up for you as the testimony of John. This is from Matthew chapter three, when he wrote John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Here's what he came preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark put it this way in chapter one of his gospel, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And listen to this phrase, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now you probably know this about John. Mark goes on, he says, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with the water." but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Matthew and Luke's account also uh, talk about the boldness of the preaching of John the Baptist. He called the people around him a brood of vipers. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. But listen to the boldness. He said, even now the is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And from that moment, crowds were asking, what should we do? What should we do? And John the Baptist, there's his testimony. There's his message. Repent. Be baptized. Turn from your sins because the Messiah is coming. John the Baptist had been preaching a message of repentance with such boldness that people began to think he might be the Messiah. They thought he might be Jesus. Everyone from that area is going out to hear him preach. Everyone from that area is going to be baptized by him. In fact, even the ruler of that area, King Herod himself, Mark's gospel tells us, was readily listening to John the Baptist. Even though people were afraid of him and scared of him, even though he had friends that was telling him to kill him, Herod would keep him safe and protect him. Why? Just so he could hear the message of John the Baptist. His fame had grown and people wanted to know who John the Baptist was. In fact, he was famous enough that he had his own followers. The writer of the gospel of John, the apostle himself, was before a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of John the Baptist. He was famous. People knew him. In fact, I love what Herschel Hobbes writes about this particular time and the popularity of John the Baptist. He says, it had been 400 years since a prophet had appeared in Israel. The literature between the, the last Old Testament writing and the first New Testament writing reveals the longings in people's hearts to hear some word from God. 400 years since they heard from God. The Jews detected the note of God's voice in John's preaching, so from everywhere they flocked. To hear him Now, I want you to focus on this as we continue to move through this scripture. John the Baptist, I only tell you all this about his history, is because he was kind of a big deal. People knew who he was. People wanted to know more about who he was. People were coming and flocking. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to be baptized by him. They wanted to hear his preaching. Yet, when John has the opportunity to talk about himself, he doesn't do it. There are plenty of people who came before him who claim to be something more than what they were. There are plenty of people who came before him who wanted to take credit for being the Christ or being famous or being well-known. Plenty of them, but not John. Instead, look at what he says in verse 20 of John chapter 1. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? If you're not the Christ, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. He had the opportunity to make everything about him. But guess what? The testimony of John was not that John was great. The testimony of John was that Jesus was great. My story is glory, it means I point people to Jesus. Apparently, John had heard the rumors, or maybe someone had asked the question, but it's not recorded here. Whatever the case is, John makes it clear, I am not the Christ. Literally, this could be translated, I am not now and never will be the Christ. You say, what is the Christ? What were they thinking of? Well, the word Christ is translation. It's a, it's a translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah, or literally, the anointed one. In the Old Testament, the king was the anointed one. However, no king of Israel ever lived up to the calling of the anointed one. So prophet after prophet spoke of an anointed one, a Messiah who would perfectly lead God's people and rule the world. At this point, the Jews would have been looking for such a man, an impressive political powerhouse and military genius who would rid them of Roman rule and then usher them into an unprecedented time of prosperity. But John lets them know quickly, that guy is not me. I'm not the Christ. Well, if you're not the Christ, you must be Elijah. Now, apparently those who were presenting this question to John knew their Bibles a little bit. You say, Danny, why? Because Malachi chapter 4 says this, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. They had been waiting for the coming of Elijah. They were waiting for the prophet of old who didn't die but was carried off to heaven in a chariot of fire. Are you him is their question. Though John the Baptist fulfills the prophecy of Malachi, he wasn't physically the prophet of old. So he says, I am not. Well, if you're not the Christ, and you're not Elijah, then you've got to be the only other person we know is coming. You've got to be the prophet. Further back than Malachi, Moses prophesied about one like himself being raised up. This is from Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. But once again, John is clear. I am not who Moses is referring to. His answer is simple. He just says no. Now look at the progression because it's interesting. How shorter. And shorter, the response of John the Baptist gets. First, he says, I am not the Christ. Then he says, I am not. Then he just replies with no. All of their assumptions were wrong. Well, if he's none of these, if he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah, he's not the prophet, then look at verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? What are you doing here? Who can we tell the people who sent us who you are? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I love it. He quoted Isaiah 40. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. There's the context, right? The Pharisees had sent him to ask this question. John doesn't even say his name. He doesn't even want his name to be presented in the same topic of Jesus. Instead, he lets them know, I'm a forerunner who will pave the way for the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming of Jesus. When a monarch traveled to a particular region, it was rarely unplanned. Typically, a forerunner would first go and announce the imminent arrival of the king. The city would then be prepared and the route cleared of anything that would slow down the king's chariot or make the journey for the king unpleasant. The forerunner was simply a voice having no authority of his own. If people chose to heed his message, it was not because of him. It would be because they revered the coming of the king. That's what John was doing. He was simply a voice paving the way for Jesus. They needed an answer. The Pharisees had sent them. That's where the question came from. Now, the Pharisees are very well known to us. They're the group that was always at odds with Jesus during his earthly ministry. They're also the group that was responsible for religious rites and ceremonies. So that's why they want to know. Look at verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, what in the world are you doing here? The question comes from the people who are in charge wondering if you have no authority to be doing what you're doing, why are you baptizing people? Why are you saying anything at all? Listen, baptism at that point in time among the Jews wasn't even a thing. The only people that might have been baptized were proselytes. These are Jews who wanted to convert to Judaism, and so what they would do is they would be baptized as a way to become a Jew, but we don't even know that for sure. So they're asking, why are you doing any of this? You have no authority to be doing what you're doing. Why would John the Baptist, some random monk-like dude from the wilderness who eats locusts and wild honey, who wears camel's hair and leather, who's not trained as a Pharisee or religious leader, why would he think he's got the right to administer Jewish rites and procedures, and not even in in pure water in a synagogue, but in the muddy Jordan River. And to top it all off, John the Baptist's baptism was one of repentance and cleansing. The Pharisees would have wanted no part of that. They would have been insulted by someone telling them that they even needed to think about repenting or being cleansed. They were the most righteous of anyone. It was as if John were saying to them, because of your sin, you are outside of Abraham's covenant with God. You're not a Jew at all, even though you're born a Jew you must repent like a gentile and come to god as if for the first time talk about insulting right so john answers them who are you who are you who are you if you're not this and you're not this and you're not this give us an answer we need to report it back and so john says i'm just a voice but look at verse 26 he answered them again he said i baptize with water But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. Apparently, Jesus is there in the crowd at this time. He says, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He said all of these things in a place called Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, here's what John lets him in on. He doesn't need their permission. His authority came from the creator of all things. His authority didn't have to come from the Pharisees. It came from the Messiah. It came from Jesus, who they do not know. I want you to notice how quickly John the Baptist turns the conversation from himself back to Jesus. He's just the voice. Jesus is the one he's pointing to. The Messiah was... So awesome that John the Baptist wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals. Now this is significant because this was a task typically reserved for a hired household servant. An extremely low task that was beneath most people, especially beneath the Pharisees. The Talmud, the, the, the Jewish commentary on the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, reports this. Here's, here's one of the, the, the statements in the Talmud. It says, every service which a servant will perform for his master, a disciple will do for his rabbi, except untying his sandal in other words everything a servant does you got to do it if you're the disciple of a rabbi except here's the one thing you never have to untie his sandal apparently it was that bad well the lowest of lows that no one could think of john says i'm not even worthy to do that what's he doing he's pointing people to jesus Though John the Baptist makes a bold comparison to the worth of Jesus, the visitors at this time make no argument. They didn't know Jesus or what John the Baptist was even talking about. However, they would soon know. They, as all of us will, have to make a decision on who Jesus is. I don't think there's a coincidence that there's a note in the Bible in verse 28 that says he's baptizing across the Jordan. Now, I'm going to tell you why I don't think this is a a coincidence, because I don't know if you remember this, but before... the people of uh, uh, the Israelites were freed from Egypt, before they began their conquest, before they were in God's promised land, before they received what was there as God's chosen people, you remember the story, they had to cross over the Jordan. Do you remember this? God's presence went before them, parted the water, they crossed onto the other side, and Joshua took some stones, and he said, I want you to take these 12 stones, I want you to lay them out, I want them to be a memorial for us to always remember the faithfulness of God. We are his people embarking on the future that he has for us. Well, you know what John the Baptist was doing? He was pointing to Jesus way above himself. And the reason he was in the Jordan River is because he needed everybody to come back and realize they are still in bondage, not in Egypt, but in their sin. And if they wanted to identify with Jesus, they were going to have to cross over the Jordan again. They were going to have to repent of their sin. They were going to have to connect with Christ. They were going to have to give their lives to someone greater than than themselves, Jesus himself, and they were going to have to start anew. Friends, I wonder how many of us need that same moment right here today. I wonder how many of us are on the other side of the Jordan and God's been beckoning to us, why don't you come? Why don't you cross? Why don't you come and see? I've got something so much better. For John, his goal was simply to point people to Jesus. My story, his glory means I point people to Jesus. Let me show you the second thing, which by the way, I pretty much just have two points, so that's the good news. The second thing is this. My story, his glory, means not only that I point people to Jesus, but also that I present Jesus to people, right? It's got to be both. I don't want them just to see how good Jesus is. I want to present Jesus to them. I want them to taste for themselves, to come and see and experience through my life that Jesus is better. He's the way. He can change it all. That's why we pick up in verse 29. Let's, let's finish the story in chapter 1 that includes John the Baptist. Verse 29 says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist notices Christ and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now just for the timeline uh, of the Gospel of John, this is about six, uh, about six weeks before this moment Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Now, for some reason, the Apostle John doesn't include it in his gospel account. It could be because the other gospels had already covered it so in so much detail that he didn't feel the need to talk about it again. But nonetheless, before he sees Jesus coming and calls him the Lamb of God, six weeks before that, he had been a part of the baptism of Jesus. After Jesus is baptized, you remember the, the Spirit of God comes down on him and the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, right? Like he is, he is uh, officially, introduced into the world as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. After that, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for forty days and forty nights. Now, I don't know if there's a connection between John the Baptist living in the wilderness and Jesus going to the wilderness to be tempted, I'm not sure, but nonetheless, he comes back, Jesus. He comes back from fasting and his encounter with the devil and John the Baptist notices him in the crowd as he's being interrogated by the priests and the Levites that were sent by the Pharisees. This is back in John chapter one, verse 26. He tells them, the one that you don't know about, he's here right now. So John baptizes Jesus. Six weeks later, he notices Jesus in the crowd as he's still continuing his ministry, asking people to repent and follow after God. There's Jesus again. And then the next day, John sees Jesus coming toward him and makes this incredible statement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John ends the debate forever about who's the Messiah. Also, John, the writer of this gospel, the apostle, is a disciple of john the baptist and he's witnessing this entire event how quickly this would change in the life of the apostle john he would leave following john the baptist when he's given the option to follow the messiah every jew at this moment by the way every person listening to the proclamation of john the baptist would understand the comparison that he's making Like the Passover lamb whose blood was shed to free the Israelites from Egyptian bondage, Jesus' blood would be shed to free all people from the bondage of sin. John the Baptist is making the same connection to Jesus that Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 53. When he wrote these words, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Now process this for a moment. John the Baptist doesn't introduce Jesus to the nation as the Son of God, nor as the Holy One of God, nor as the Christ of God, nor even as the Word of God. He went right to the heart of Israel's need. He went right to the heart of the entire world's need. He proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb of God. Although John the Baptist's baptism had confronted people with the need for repentance, they needed much more than repentance. They needed redemption. Now listen to me, friends. No amount of water could remove the stain of sin. It could only be removed by blood. And not the blood of bulls and goats, which could never take away sin. Not even the blood of an ordinary lamb. It called for the shedding of the precious blood for redemption made possible only by the lamb of God. Friends, this is the same question that a young boy named Isaac asked his father whenever Abraham was taking him and sacrificing his own son to God. Do you remember what Isaac asked? This is in Genesis 22. He looked at his father when they got to the altar, and he noticed something was missing. He's like, Dad, where is the lamb? And I don't know if you remember this, but Abraham's response is beautiful. Abraham said to his son Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb. Listen, that Old Testament question has now found its perfect solution in what John the Baptist calls the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, John didn't just want to point to Jesus. He didn't just want to point people to Jesus. He wanted to present Jesus to people as the sacrifice for their sins. He goes on, verse 31, he said, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Listen, I don't know all the ins and outs of why John didn't know who Jesus was. Clearly he knew Jesus, he was a relative of his, but for some reason it had not been known to him that he was the Messiah, the coming Christ until God revealed it. But here's what I know. Rather than try to explain how or why John the Baptist didn't recognize the Messiah before and instead of searching for clever interpretations, let's focus on John's primary point. Jesus Christ, though equal with God in every respect, did not appear on the surface to be an extraordinary man. He was simply a man among men, a Jewish son of a Jewish mother reared in an obscure town far from the center of religious activity. He was remarkable in that he had never sinned. He was extraordinary in his understanding of Scripture and spiritual matters, but he possessed none of the traits that we expect from leaders. No movie star good looks, no halo, no spotless robe trimmed in gold. He didn't have an agent or a publicist. Make no mistake. Though he... Did not come as we thought. He is the word, the author of truth in a human body. However, as he stood among his fellow humans, no one recognized him. I thought as I read that, oh friend, how often does the truth, how often does Jesus stand right in front of people, right in front of us, and they, we don't even notice him. So look at what John says, verse 32. Let's keep going. I got to hurry up. And John bore witness. Here it is. There's his testimony again. You ready? I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. He's talking about the baptism of Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Don't miss verse 34. I love it. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is, is the Son of God. He wanted to point people to Jesus, but friends, listen, he wanted to present Jesus to people. John baptized with water for repentance, but Jesus baptizes with the Spirit for regeneration. Through Jesus, we're made whole, complete, perfect, accepted, redeemed, justified. What no one else could do, Jesus can. I read this this week. The Jews were looking for a Messiah but they thought that a human person might be that Messiah. The Messiah was literally the anointed one. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, kings were anointed with oil. Jesus, though, was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Jews were looking for a messenger, another Moses or Elijah, one who would come in the tradition of David or Daniel, one who would come after these men, the prophet to end all prophets. Jesus was not just one who came after these men. He was before these men. The Jews were looking for a monarch, they wanted a militant leader, one who would break the power of Rome and build an empire ruled by Jerusalem. Jesus was not just a ruler, he was a redeemer. He had not come just to set people free from servitude, he came to set people free from sin. John the Baptist's goal, purpose, mission in life was to shine light on Jesus. Why? Well here's the last verses, I'm done. Look at verses 35 through 37. Let's wrap up our John the Baptist discussion. Why was his mission in life to shine light on Jesus? Well, look at it. The next day, again, so we had one day he's getting interrogated. The next day, he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. The next day, third day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, here it is again, behold, the Lamb of God. Now watch this. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Listen, you tell me what rabbi has disciples that he is so willing to push away to follow someone else. You show me people who no longer want fame, no longer attention, no longer want to be the star on the stage. You show me that kind of attitude and I will say that is foreign to everything we grow up knowing. But you know what John the Baptist knew? Life was not about him. His goal was to point people to Jesus and present Jesus to people to the point that people People began following Christ. That's the goal. The testimony of John was simple. He wanted people to actually follow Jesus. My story, His glory, means I point people to Jesus. My story, His glory, means I present Jesus to people so that people follow Jesus. I couldn't get away from this phrase this is the testimony. Do you remember that? It's back in verse 19. This is the testimony of John. Listen, there's tons of historical things we could say about John the Baptist. There's tons of theological implications that we could wrestle with and argue about. We could spend weeks looking at Old Testament prophecies that would lead up to the forerunner that we know is the voice in the wilderness that we know is John the Baptist. There's plenty of things that we could talk about when it comes to him. But can I tell you something? There's nothing more important than that little phrase that we see in John 1, Nineteen. this is the testimony of John you say Danny What was it? It was that he wanted to point people to Jesus It was that he wanted to present Jesus to people why so that they would follow Jesus That's the testimony of John that he wanted people following Christ friends What if the question is asked of you today? You ready? You're not John the Baptist matter of fact. He was very unique None of us could claim to have the Holy Spirit in our mother's womb. That's a little interesting concept. But what if someone came up to you and they wanted to know who you were? What if someone came up to you and they wanted to know your testimony? What if somebody came to you and said, hey, I've been hearing a lot of things about you, but I want to know, who is it that you represent? Would they know it's Jesus? Oh, there's so many things we could talk about with John the Baptist, But nothing is more important than the testimony that he gave to the world. Friends, can I tell you something? There's a lot of things you could say about Danny Boudreaux. Some of them good, most of them bad. There's a lot of things you could say. But here's what I hope people know, that my testimony is that my story is his glory. I want people to know that I exist so that Jesus can be made known. Can I ask you something? Are you here this morning and you say, Danny, that's not my testimony? I don't have this story, uh, my story, his glory, that's not me. I don't have that, what do I do? Friend, if that's you, and you can't claim to have a testimony that represents Jesus because you don't know him, can I tell you something? The same testimony that was John's can be yours if today you do what John did. If you repent of your sins, if you turn from your old life and receive Jesus, believe and receive that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you, as John's followers did when they left that rabbi to go after Jesus, if you today will say everything else I was following, no more. I choose to follow Jesus. Friends, if that's you this morning, I'd love to take my Bible and I'd love to tell you how you can begin following Jesus. That testimony, my story, His glory, it can be yours. Why wait? Why not today? Why not today make the best decision you ever will to follow Jesus? Listen, we do things a little bit differently here. I'm not going to be up here. You don't have to come up here and I'll whisper to you while you whisper to me and we try to figure out what's going on in each other's lives in the span of 30 seconds while everyone's staring at us. All right, no. Instead, I'll be back there in that lobby. If you feel like the Lord's leading you to ask some questions about why you don't have a testimony, if you know Jesus or not, if you're wrestling with following Christ, I'll be back there in that lobby. You come find me. Brother Corey will be back there in that lobby. You come find him. We'd love to tell you how that can be taken care of today. But listen, here's what I know. There are a lot of people in here that you would say, listen, my story is His glory. I'm in there, right? I've made the decision to follow Jesus. I want when people ask, who are you, that they see Jesus. I want that. Listen, that's probably true for most of the people in the room today. So let me ask you something, Christian follower of Jesus. Have you forgotten that your life is for Him? Have you forgotten that your future, your every decision, what you, uh, how you respond to things in your life, do you, have you forgotten that today represents Jesus, tomorrow represents Jesus? Have you forgotten that your story is for His glory? You belong to Him. If that's true, here's what I would tell you. I want you to wrestle with the testimony of John the Baptist this morning. Ask yourself, are you a voice? Ask yourself, are you pointing people to Jesus? Ask yourself if you're presenting Jesus to people. Ask yourself if people follow Jesus because they know you, not you, but Jesus who lives in you. Ask yourself that, because if not, maybe today you need to spend some time with Jesus, asking him to make you a better testimony, a better representation, Ask him to make you a voice in the wilderness that cries out, not your story, but his glory.